0: Good morning and welcome to our Convocation. China SST, Fall 2008. China, which boasts a history of over 4,000 years, houses over 1.3 billion people made up of 56 distinct ethnic groups. China, which ranks as the world's second largest economy with a GDP of $7.8 trillion and recently hosted the 2008 Beijing Summer Olympics, has been an SST location since before I was born. Over these many years, China SST has grown and changed and has remained an an effective destination for granting us Goshen College students meaningful experiences, cultural, educational, and personal. We hope that you enjoy this taste of China SST as we share some of our stories and observations with you. The following will be a video presentation put together by Nathan Morrow. The footage was captured by Sarah Jensen, who was part of the group but isn't with us because she's in LA this semester. Enjoy.
1: At the airport in Chicago, I don't think the reality of us actually being in China within a few hours had really hit us yet. But that was okay because we would not be in China within a few hours. <laughs> Once we got to Los Angeles after a four-hour flight on uh, or from Chicago, we boarded another plane to Hong Kong. About two hours into the flight, one of the power generators stopped working. The plane, the plane itself was, was still in working order and we weren't in any danger but there were no video screens and without certain instruments the pilot couldn't fly through the imminent icy conditions. So the pilot tells us that we have to turn around, fly back to Los Angeles and get the problem sorted out. We got back and ended up having to stay on the plane in our seats without air conditioning for three hours while they fixed the problem. Finally, the plane was back in working order and back up in the air. Um, And after 12 or so hours of watching movies, reading, talking, um, listening to music, and of course, sleeping, we were within a few hours of reaching our destination. But once again, the pilot comes on the intercom and tells us that we have to take a detour and land in Japan. The stop had to be made because the. Flight crew couldn't legally be made to work more than the 20-something hours we've been stuck on that plane. So we found ourselves exhausted and jet-lagged in Japan, waiting another four hours until our flight could muster up a new crew on such short notice. After some light napping and wandering through the airport, we were on our way to Hong Kong again. The flight was another four hours, but then, once in Hong Kong, we literally had to run through the terminal with all our luggage to our next gate, um, fortunately, we all made it um, on the flight, and within three hours, we were in Chengdu. Overall, we spent roughly 35 hours traveling and waiting, giving us a pretty rough start to a great experience.
2: After spending two days in Chengdu trying, keyword trying, to recover from jet lag, uh, we got to see some live pandas, and we tried to adjust to our new settings of being completely illiterate. Uh, we all headed out to our study term location of Nanchong. This is a little bit of a big deal because uh, we are the first SST unit to live with Chinese host families and to be stationed in Nanchong. So there was a lot of firsts for our whole group and our leaders, which was a fun experience to say the least. Uh, seeing as it was our first time uh, for them and for us to be you know, host families, host students, It was an extremely nervous and exciting experience meeting our families. After a few days, at least some of the nervousness had disappeared, and we all went about the routine of uh, going to language class at or China West Normal University, uh, walking around the local park eating cheap ice cream, and spending time with our host families. But by far one of the most amazing moments I had in Nanchong was with my host mother. One night she and I were leaving a restaurant and I saw a shoe store, in fact, an Adidas store right down the road and wondered if we could stop in because at that point my shoes had uh, holes in the bottom, which was causing concern to my family. (laughs) I tried on a couple pairs, but then I realized that I left most of my money at home. I only had about 100 RMB with me, which was uh, close to $15, and the shoes I was looking at were 500 RMB. So I, I realize this, and I go to leave the store. Um, but my host mom gets gets these shoes, very nice shoes. But she uh, she insists insists on buying these for me, and I, I'm, I'm putting up as much of a fight as I can without being rude in front of all the store people. But eventually, it comes down to she she turns to me, she, and she says she's holding the shoe. She says, "You are my son, and I will always buy my son shoes." <laughs> and you can't, you can't really argue against that. So, it was just an amazing thing to go from being a complete stranger to being someone's son in six weeks, uh, which just shows how warm and hospitable and welcoming all the Chinese families were to us. But next up is uh, Reuben and Beth, and they will talk about some of the. Food we tried. All
3: right, Sichuan province is known for the unique combination of uh, tingling spices, aka Sichuan peppercorn, red chili straight from the garden, and a liberal amount of peanut oil. The beautiful blend leaves your tips, your lips tingling, and, <laughs> and in my opinion, wanting more. Many of us quickly generated a routine of eating at one particular restaurant, which we like to call the Yuge, where each of our favorite dishes were prepared in a cheap, quick, and delicious manner. Some of our favorite dishes were Tong su chi, sweet and sour pork, yuxiang ro se, fish smelling pork, and todo su, shredded potatoes with green peppers. Our host family's favorite way of feeding us, though, was through pots. They had every pot imaginable: hot pot, huoguo, chicken pot, ji bao, fish pot, mushroom pot, even rabbit pot. The pots seemed to be creative, creatively delicious ways of making uh, people sweat. With all, with all the pots, whether the choice of ingredients was giblets, chicken, rabbit, mushrooms, or fish, the process remained the same. Dip the food in boiling oils overcome by hot, tingly spices. As you can imagine, our bodies didn't always agree with these dishes and pots.
4: Alright, so to exemplify this, I'm going to read um, a section from an email I sent home to family and friends, and I also used it as part of one of my three journal entries that we had to write each week. Every meal, there is a conversation that goes on within my body. The first to speak is generally my nose, generally interested, maybe even intrigued, and on occasion a little cautious, saying, okay taste, this might be interesting. About this time, the eyes chime in and make a comment about the meat looking a little sketchy, while the mind reminds the eyes that this is true of meat in general, and it doesn't always reflect the taste. As my mother puts more food on my plate and I bring the chopsticks to my mouth, my stomach hurries me along, excited to be fed, while my intestines skeptically watch the proceedings from below, perhaps thinking, great, this again. (laughs) Halfway through the meal, my body is in a deadlock, and I must simply sit there and wait for it to sort itself out as my parents continue to urge my brother to eat faster. The stomach is now siding with the intestines, while the taste begs for just a little more, along with the backing of the mind, who worries that a lack of consumption might reflect a dislike of the food. Depending on the day, the bowels and the stomach end up having the final word, and I must set my plate and bowl aside, saying I'm quite full, thank you.
3: While there are many different delicious dishes, it is not uncommon for one to run into a questionable food item. Among feet, tongue, and scorpions, my most outrageous experience with food at a restaurant was, uh, was at a restaurant called Dr. Rabbit. The restaurant's specialty was rabbit pot, and if you stop to think about it, you have all these bodies of rabbit thrown into spicy goodness, but what about the heads? Thus, I get to the restaurant, and it turns out the appetizer is a rabbit head lathered in spices, eyeballs and everything, sitting on a plate in front of me. I look up at my host parents with the face that exclaims, no way. <laughs> Their smiling faces suggest yes way.
4: <laughs>
3: right then and there, I was handed plastic gloves, with the help of my mother, my host mother strategically ate away at a rabbit head. I'll save, the, I'll save the torture for those with easily unsettled stomachs, but I am willing to describe the process of eating a rabbit head to anyone who wants to know.
5: Uh, good morning. I'm going to talk to you about the complexities of the Chinese language condensed into a minute and a half, so bear with me. To be completely honest, Mandarin is really quite difficult. I think that hit me about three months ago when I found myself alone in a taxi being dropped off in a strange part of Nanchang and trying to communicate with the non-English speaking driver that that was not where I wanted to go. The incident ended after much confusion, frantically looking up words in my Mandarin handbook and a dramatic game of charades, and me arriving at my intended destination almost an hour late and a little shaken up. To justify my incompetence in Mandarin, I think you should know a little bit more about the language. Learning Chinese is like learning two new languages. First of all, you have to learn pinyin, which teaches foreigners how to pronounce words using the Roman alphabet. But even these Roman letters create different sounds when read in English, so that's confusing. Secondly, you have to learn the Chinese characters, which are pretty self-explanatory as being difficult to learn. The average Chinese newspaper has 4,000 different characters, Um, so we were basically illiterate. To add to these complexities, speaking the language is also a challenge. You have to learn the four Chinese tones, which give different meanings to the same pinyin, for example, um, for the first tone in ma would mean mother, while saying ma would mean horse, and ma would mean scold. So this caused for some confusion as well as amusement, usually at our own expense. My favorite language story was when um, Jordan walked into a bakery and tried to say, I am a foreigner, <laughs> but instead said, wo shu waipo, which means I am a grandmother. (laughs)
4: Um,
5: In the end though, many of us learned enough Mandarin to get around, find a bathroom, order at a restaurant, say goodbye on the phone, haggle, be polite, and curse. The basic necessities of living in a foreign country.
6: Thanks, Haiti. Um, I don't have a story like Beth does that exemplifies her, her points, but uh, I guess my, I have a, uh, an article here that um, was written by a Nanchung reporter and I think it, I guess it kind of exemplifies their national pride and how happy they were to kind of, that Americans came over and kind of partook in their culture. And I'll, I'll read some excerpts that I hope illustrates this and I also hope it kind of gives you an idea of just some of a lot of the cultural differences. Um, Mr. Liu Qingyang, who is the headmaster of Xihua Art Department, hosted a foreign student, myself. This handsome boy's name is Jordan. (laughs) His Chinese name is Zhao Dan. He is from Pennsylvania. His major is English Education. Zhao Dan is medium build, has blue eyes, and wears sports clothing. When the reporter interviewed him, this big American boy was very happy. He shook the reporter's hands and said hi in Chinese, ni hao. <laughs> this is Zhao Dan's first time came to China, and of course it's also his first time came to Nanchong. When he just arrived in Nanchong, using his own words, he felt like he was in a land full of wonderful food. That's a, I never said that. <laughs> the first day, he tasted the authentic Sichuan hot pot and was surprised by how Sichuan food is cooked. My favorite dishes are tongsui liji and yuxiang rosu, Jiao Dan said excitedly. That's actually true. (laughs) This is where it gets questionable. (laughs) Mr. Liu said Jiao Dan especially likes Chinese Buddhism. Adore Chairman Mao. (laughs) His favorite sport is yoga. Now, Now Jiao Dan and Mr. Liu's son became very good friends. This is where it becomes pure fantasy. Every day, Zhao Dan happily practices calligraphy, reviews his Chinese, helps to do housework, washes dishes, and waters the flowers. <laughs> Mr. Leo smiled and said, just like I have a foreign son. And now, Rocio will talk about our first week of travel in September.
7: Anyhow, I'm Lesulias and I'm going to talk about National Holiday Week, which is the equivalent of our Independence Day. The only perk is that in China they celebrate for a whole week and people don't go to work or go to school. Therefore, we didn't have classes and were able to travel as a group to other places in Sichuan province. The first place we went to was the ancient city in Langzhong, which is a 2,300-year-old city. We were able to explore through the 90 streets and lanes of this ancient town as well as visit towers and temples. The second place we traveled to was Guang'an. It was most famous as the birthplace of China's former paramount leader, Dong Xiaoping. We visited his former residence where three generations of the Dong family lived. The residence is a traditional farmhouse with 17 rooms covering an area of 800 square meters. The third place we conclu- that concluded our week's travel was to Jingchong Mountain. We stayed at a beautiful cabin up in the mountains. Although many of us were sick with a cold, we were able to relax and enjoy the beauty of nature. We took a group hike and wandered off on our own later, hoping we didn't get lost. The time spent in the mountains helped me reflect on the first month in China and think ahead to our service projects and how that would be. Not only that, but look forward to the many more weeks to come. Up next is a slideshow accompanied by a song that we learned during May term, our three-week crash course for Mandarin. All right, Um, after living in Nanchong,
8: we all went to three different cities for service where we taught English in different middle schools. First stop was Shichong, where seven of us went. All right, next up, seven went to Nanbu, and finally, seven people went to Lanzhong. Xichang was about 45 minutes outside of Nanchang, but the town itself was much different than Nanchang. It looked much smaller, with one major road going through the entire town. It's hard to believe that there was a population of 700,000 people living in this town, but Where did they all fit?
9: I remember the first day we arrived in Xichung. After getting acquainted with the living situation and stumbling through a special English introduction with my host family, I decided to go out for a walk and head towards a coffee shop I had seen. Upon arrival, I found 80, who had also spotted this coffee shop, and after sitting and chatting for a while, we decided to go for a walk. Walking around a city neither of us knew, getting stared at, pointed at, or giggled at by just about every passerby, and feeling like we had just been dumped in the middle of nowhere for the next six weeks, both Adie and I were feeling a little depressed. It was a Saturday afternoon and both of us were already feeling like we had been stuck in Xichung for ages. After buying some chocolate, eating it together and commiserating together, we both parted for our homes how long till we get to head back to our Nanchang homes?
8: This is the general feeling of our group until Saturday evening when we were all treated to a taste of Chinese hospitality. Our, our host families contacted one another and we all went out for hot pot or hoguo. This is the first of many, many gatherings that our group would have, with our various host families taking us out to eat almost every day. With our first day of school on Monday, we all felt, felt like a little rest was in order. So we turned in, but not before rethinking our initial attitudes and frustrations about Xi Chong.
9: Monday came all too quickly for us, and our first day at school was filled with surprises. For many of the 6,000 students at our high school, this was the first time they had ever seen an American. When we went into the classrooms, introducing ourselves in bits of American culture in very slow and simple and well-articulated English uh, to classes of 80 to our 100 plus students, Uh, this was a little intimidating. It didn't help that as soon as the news of our arrival had circulated through the classrooms, all of us were bombarded every break between classes in the teacher's office where students pushed their way in just to look at all of us. <laughs> this was to be the first time we would hear certain phrases like, hello, and what's your name, and what's your favorite NBA star, <laughs> and and so beautiful, and my personal favorite, hello David Beckham. <laughs> These eventually became all of our accepted Xichang mantras. Although stressful, we all walked out of our first day in Xichang school with only minor student overexposure and socially stimulated trauma, effects that would progressively lessen as we became more accustomed to our service assignment.
8: As all of us grew more and more comfortable with our living situations and teaching situations, we became more accustomed and fond of Xichang, too. Soon we were going out to eat with various teachers, hosts, students, or friends every day or multiple times a day, which was very common. Most of us had ne- never had to pay for meals, as, Chinese, as the Chinese would insist that they had to pay for everything since they were our hosts, and that if they ever had the chance to visit the, the U.S., then we would get to return the favor to them. Teaching grew more enjoyable, too. Uh, We were able to be really creative in the classrooms, teaching songs like Country Roads by John Denver, which they loved for some reason, um, sharing unforgettable experiences with students, and teaching American Tongue Twisters.
9: When it was finally time to leave Xichang, all of us felt we had adopted a new home in China, and our intimate relationship with the school and many people in Xichang made for the most difficult goodbyes we experienced. Saying goodbye to Xichang felt like saying goodbye to that which embodies our perception of China. Thus, Xichang will always be what comes to mind when visualizing what China personally, personally represented for each of us. Uh,
10: when we first got to Nanbu, it was maybe a little—I was a little apprehensive because we were suddenly being thrown into a completely new city with completely new host families. Um, but as soon as we got off the bus, Mr. Wong, the teacher who was in charge of us, our involvement in uh, Nambu Number 1 Middle School uh, was very friendly and introduced us to our host families and uh, we went home with them briefly to drop off our bags and then we went uh, back to meet together to go out to lunch. Um, And so by that time we were feeling good because we could still talk to each other in English and uh, there were still English teachers next to our host families for us to talk to. Um, But then I turned around and looked at the end of the street where we were standing, uh, getting ready to go eat hot pot, and I saw a massive stairway that was about six stories tall and maybe 20 feet wide. And I just thought, well, I guess the Chinese government usually just builds really big buildings getting ready for the future population growth. But then I remembered that at Nambu Middle School, um, which has grades 7 through 12, had 10,000 students. And that's that's when we heard the bell go off, which um, (laughs) their bell is actually uh, the wheels on the bus go round and round. Um, (laughs) And then this massive wave of Chinese students uh, just starts splitting down the stairs and coming towards us. Um, So I was kind of wondering what was going to happen with this big group of Westerners standing right in the middle of the street that they were all headed down, but the solid line of kids just parted right around us, and uh, our circle of conversation had about 10 feet of extra room because they were all too afraid to come any closer.
11: (laughs) Uh, During one of the first weeks of teaching at Nanbu. Mr. Wong, one of the English teachers, a different Mr. Wong, not Mr. Wong, Mr. Wong. (laughs) uh, He told me that he wanted to play David, Jordan, Isaac, Drew, and I in a game of basketball. Or actually, the English department was going to play us in a basketball game later that day. And so I told David as soon as I could, but I didn't see the rest of the group until about 15 minutes before the game. And so some people were able to run home and change and some people weren't. Uh, we were playing on the outdoor courts while there were a couple PE classes going on. And I thought this would be a laid back game of basketball, just play half court. No, we get there and it's full court. All the teachers are in jerseys. There's a referee <laughs> and a scoreboard that read USA versus China. <laughs> Also, most all the students from the PE classes came to watch. So we had a wall, literally, of Chinese students around the basketball court. So whenever the basketball went out of bounds, it would hit a student. Now, I can't speak for the rest of the group, but I'm not a good basketball player at all. I think the last time I had really played a game of basketball was in high school. However, everyone thought I was a great basketball player because I'm tall and because apparently I look like Paul Gasol. And in China, everybody calls Pau Gasol Jasser, so wherever I went, I'd hear, Jasser, Jasser. (laughs) Um, The other team was pretty good. They weren't that bad, but for some reason, our strategy of zone defense combined with Jordan Delp, who was on fire that game, (laughs) enabled us to get ahead by a lot. We actually ended up winning by about 14 points, but... All in all, the whole experience was just another example of how we never really knew what to expect in China, and many times our expectations were just blown out of the water.
12: China SSTs prior to our unit utilized their very first week in the country as their East to West cross-country travel segment. The restructuring of the China SST made us the first group to do that trip in reverse from West to East and as a grand finale. After service, we reunited in Nanchang. From there, we took a bus to Chengdu to board an overnight train staying in the hard sleeper cars. These cars had little compartments with enough room for two triple-decker bunk beds and about one-tenth of the luggage that we had brought. We somehow managed to cram our heavy, cumbersome suitcases in a fashion that still allowed for the drink, food, and souvenir carts to pass through, get a few hours of sleep, and make it to Xi'an in the Shaanxi province. A visit to Xi'an's inner city wall and the famous and ancient terracotta warriors the next day marked our first encounters with American tourists, and they were huge and from Brooklyn. (laughs) The shock of hearing native English speakers began our small doses of Western culture that increased the more we traveled toward Beijing, our final Chinese destination. Along with human evidence of Western influence in Xi'an, venues like Starbucks and Pizza Hut littered the city almost as much as in the States. What stood out to many of us were the paradoxes, soldiers from 210 BC, McDonald's, mannequins designed in the style of terracotta warriors but with a model-esque pose. These paradoxes only increased as we continued our train journey to Beijing, China's second largest city and certainly one of the most developed, where our hotel was adorned with a Christmas tree both in and outside of the lobby. We saw China's famous Tiananmen Square, the Summer Palace, and ate deep deep-fried seahorses on the street. Peddlers were everywhere as they were in Sichuanese cities, but almost all of the Beijing peddlers spoke English. Many of us decided it was to our advantage to use the Chinese that we learned when bartering to show that we, unlike many foreigners in Beijing, knew some Chinese and would not accept the outrageous prices they were trying to make us pay. By this time, we all realized how much we had learned in our three months in the country and used our advanced skills to avoid being cheated out of our dwindling money supply. Overall, the placement of this trip was a great opportunity to reunite, share stories from service, and slowly ease our way back into American culture.
0: At the very end of SST, I did some traveling separate from the group, so I flew to Tokyo uh, while everyone else was preparing to uh, fly to Chicago or there was a group also going to Korea. On my flight to Tokyo, uh, I noticed that the, the flight crew was made up of some Japanese women and some Chinese women, and it was sort of fascinating how the Chinese staff would converse in Chinese, the Japanese staff would converse in Japanese, and any communication between the two groups would happen in English. But sitting on the plane, uh, you know, surrounded by other people traveling from Beijing to Tokyo, I was you know, wondered how many of these people are business people? How many are traveling for fun? But really, yeah, I came to wonder, has anyone else on this plane really experienced other cultures than their own, made friends and learned valuable life lessons from parents and teachers from across the globe? For us, SST was an invitation to open our eyes, ears, and hearts, and to grow individually as students, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, and friends. To grow together as a group of young people on a common journey, and to share our lives with loving people who couldn't wait to meet us. We'd like to express our sincere, heartfelt thanks to Steve and Rachel, Lydia and Esther Nolt, who are our family away from home and provided leadership, support, and much more for all of us whenever we needed anything. Thank you all for your attention. We hope that those of you who have gone on SST have felt some nostalgia for your own experience and that those of you planning on going are getting excited. Your excitement is well invested. Thank you.